The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. If you'd like to find out more about us and how we strive to be a gospel-centered, city-focused church community, visit us at missiodei.org. This morning we'll look at Luke chapter number 18, and we'll read verse 18 through 30. Um, we'll briefly look at, look at the text. This is the same text that we've been in uh, now for um, three weeks in a row. Uh, the first week we really dug in deep and really understood the heart of the text was this rich young ruler who had asked Jesus a question um, that was this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response essentially was, in not so many words, uh, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And he, Jesus was driving at wasn't necessarily that possessions are bad, that the wealth that he had accumulated was wrong. What Jesus was driving at was that was what was keeping that man from giving him his life, for following him and trusting him. And so we talked about how we often put too much trust and too much value on our things and on the, the money that we use to purchase our things instead of on Jesus. In some ways, we are, are like the rich young ruler. And that's where we really dug in. And then we spent a week talking about work and why it was important to work and how that played into our relationship with our money. Then we took a week and talked last week. Pastor Ben did a good job of talking about the importance of generosity giving. Today, we're going to talk about saving and stewardship. And so I'm excited to dig in. So let's do that. Luke 18, verse 18 through 30. On our app, you can find some notes that you can fill in blanks. The words will be yellow. Uh, find this week's sermon, West Campus. You can follow along, fill them in if you would be so inclined to do so. Chapter number 18, verse 18 says this. It says, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in the time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. God, I ask you to take your word and the gospel truth that's contained in it and change our hearts to look more like you. So I wanna draw out just two two big kind of summary statements from this text and how it relates to both savings and stewardship. All right, one is, is, a, is a, a common theme that we've talked about almost every week. It's gotten mentioned because I think it's really the main point, the main thrust of the text. And that is this, trust in God and not our resources. 
Trust in God and not our resources. We see this because the rich young ruler and Jesus asking him what it was uh, that he would have to give up was asking him to give up what was most valuable for him, right? What was most valuable was expressed in his desire not to give up the money that he had to inherit eternal life as Jesus had instructed him that he would. And so we see that his things, his money, his wealth is what was most valuable for him and to him. And he, he, he refused to give it up for what should have been most valuable to him, that is eternal life. That was the question that he asked, but he couldn't do it. He had uh, some, some reserves, some hangups, some difficulties, some challenges in doing what Jesus had requested him to do. And so as, and to help us kind of understand this, I wanna talk for just a minute about a missionary named Jim Elliott. In 1956, uh, he was speared to death in the jungles of South America while uh, ministering to a violent indigenous tribe of South American Indians. Four of his colleagues uh, died in the same attack. This was a, a mission uh, team that left their home and, and flew into this South America jungle by helicopter. These men were armed with guns but chose to die rather than fire on the people that God had called them to serve, to love, and share the gospel with. Jim was 28 at the time that he left behind a wife and a baby girl who had just been born. Left her behind to uh, grow and mature into a healthy baby so that the wife and the baby could join them on the mission field. His wife eventually goes back to the mission field and continues the work of Jim and his team. It's a really neat story. His death was tragic by any measure. From a conventional perspective, uh, it was also foolish if, as we look at it. You had guns, you didn't use them, you were murdered. After all, he had experienced the natural consequence of just going about doing the work that he was doing. But Jim was well aware of this potential and him and his team chose to sacrifice their lives anyway. An entry from his journal on October 28, 1949 may suggest the reason why. Jim wrote this, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that what he cannot lose. He's no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And that was the idea or the thought that the ruler was confronted with, right? To inherit eternal life, Jesus said he had to give up something that would not span the time of eternity, something that would eventually be spent or squandered or stolen or left to waste as his time on earth expired. God requires us to trust him. And that shouldn't bring about fear or anxiety in our life regarding our money. It should bring about peace as we seek to understand and begin believing that because only God can truly provide what we need both now and for eternity. And some of us we've talked about throughout the series have a no difficulty with the eternity part, but we have a real hang up and difficulty in trusting God with our wealth, with our things, with our money, with our possessions, 
in the now, don't we? We want eternal life. We want all the things that heaven brings us. And and we wanna be uh, responsive to Jesus when it comes to our eternal life. Jesus also gives many principles about the giving of financing, the, 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 the saving up of resources. He gives a lot of things throughout scripture that are principles for the way that we use our money, but you and I have difficulty trusting him. Jamie Munson wrote a book called Money, God or Gift. And he says this, he says, God has no tolerance for our efforts to create our personal heaven on earth in the form of physical comfort, in the form of financial security and luxurious pleasures. Not only does this selfish approach numb us to the concerns of the world we are called to love and serve, a fattened heart or an abundance of wealth is insulated from empathy. And you and I are on on unstable sand when our hope resides in created things instead of the creator God, right? Powerful words. Are we putting our hope in our things or are we putting our hope in our God who gave us our things? And that leads us to our next kind of big summary statement regarding the text that we just read. The, the question that Jesus asked was what, or the, the ruler asked was what must I do to inherit eternal life? The response was to sell all of your possessions, give to the poor and come and follow me. At first glance, that can seem a bit harsh. But as we seek to understand, as we look at the context in which he's saying, we understand that Jesus was simply and actually just asking for things from this man that actually didn't belong to him in the first place. What do I mean by that? See, we are stewards of our lives, our things, our time, our energy, our resources. We're not owners. We are stewards and we are not owners. And as we see that, we see that the sin of the rich young ruler here in Luke 18 was not his earning of money. As I told you uh, two weeks ago, Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus doesn't challenge him for his abundance of wealth, for his storing up of wealth, for his working hard to obtain things. It wasn't even the rich young ruler's thought and concern to plan for the future. The Bible's full of great wisdom that talks about how we we should invest and plan and prepare for our financial futures, for the providential taking care of our families. But rather, he uh, was, um, was, was talked to and challenged on his presumptions and self-absorbed perspective on that future. It wasn't the treasure he was laying up for the treasure, uh, for the future. It was his ideas, his uh, presumptions, his perspective on that future. See, the rich young ruler uh, was believing, as so many of us often do, that he can actually control the outcomes and the directions of his life. The rich young ruler in his conversation with Jesus was operating as an owner of his wealth and not a steward of his wealth. A steward is simply somebody that oversees, manages, takes cares, multiplies, invests somebody else's resources. 
right? And so he was acting as an owner of his wealth and not a steward of his wealth because the very person that had given him his wealth asked for it back and he was unwilling to give it. The ruler thought that he had wealth, but his wealth actually had him, see? And so you and I sometimes get caught up in the same type of understanding where we have some resources, we have some things, we have some wealth, and we look at, it, look at it as if that's a good thing. But if we dig in deep our desire to store up and place hope in it, our desire to keep from being generous with our time, energy, and resources really reveals in our hearts that we don't have wealth. Our wealth has us because we continually put our hope and our faith, and our trust, in our things. Do you have wealth this morning? And we all do in some regards. America uh, is wealthier than 99% of the rest of the uh, developed world. And so any, the poorest American is, is light years ahead of the, some of the richest people in some of the most third world countries. So we all have wealth. And so we don't wanna, shush away this question of like, well, I'm, I'm good, I don't have anything. No, we have wealth. The question is, do you have wealth simply as a possession that you are stewarding or does your wealth have you in a way that it owns you and you trust in it and you rely on it? Our big idea this morning is this, is everything that we have is a gracious gift is a gift of God's grace because he's a generous God. Everything we have is a gift of, a gracious gift from a generous God. And as believers, we are called to steward the gifts that we have been given in a way that brings glory to God and accomplishes his purposes. Godly stewardship includes working to acquire money and a plan to use it well. And I, and I know that as I've thought about this and as I've processed this, it's really easy to jump to a mindset that quickly says, but you don't understand, I've worked extremely hard for all the things that I have acquired. And I've been there. And sometimes I stay there. Sometimes it's challenging. It's like, look at all the things I've done to earn the things that I have. And I can use that to be harsh and critical and judgmental of others. I can use that to really reveal the affections of my heart, where my trust is placed. So let's ask ourselves these questions this morning. When we quickly jump to the reality of the amount of work we've done to uh, secure the resources that we have, we must consistently and constantly ask the question of who gave us the ability, the talent, and the energy to work for the things that we have? Who gave us those gifts? Who gave us those tools? Who gave us those things? And even further, as we examine life in general, who is it that keeps our hearts pumping blood and our lungs pumping oxygen? Like we understand that our life is in the hands of a, a sovereign God who rules and reigns over all creation and that includes our very lives and even includes our possessions. Because even our possessions and our lives are things that he has given us. Everything we have, our life, our health, 
our possessions, our relationships, we have as a result of God's immeasurable grace and his kindness towards us. It's so vital that when we approach money, when we approach a conversation about stewardships and savings, that we understand that. Because when we truly understand that, it changes our perspective. It changes our value structure. It changes uh, how we use our energy. It changes how we view and utilize our money, right? Everything we have is a gracious gift from a generous God, but sometimes we don't view it as that. Some of us understand that, but we act as careless stewards. And so maybe we understand that, man, everything I have isn't mine, but with the gifts and the energy and the time and the talent and the resources and the money that God has entrusted to our possession, we use carelessly. We spend foolishly. We go through unimaginable amounts of money and we waste it on frivolous things. We, we don't use it as an investment for the kingdom of God. We don't use it as missional ammunition to bring people to Jesus. We spend it on things that we can't afford trying to keep up with people that we can't keep up with to get the expression of acceptance and enjoyment from people that honestly don't really care all that much about us. And if we were honest, at the end of the day, aren't really that important to us. But we frivolously spend our wheels and spend our time buying things and using our money foolishly and carelessly. And so we can squander the good things that God has given us very, very quickly, right? And so we become careless stewards. But some of us aren't very careless at all. Some of us are actually the complete opposite of careless. Some of us are very controlling stewards. And we use and view our resources, our time, our energy, our talent, our money as things that we own. And so we, we pick and choose when we'll be faithful and obedient. We'll, we'll look at it and we, we won't give because it's ours and it's our decision to give. We'll look at our things and we won't use them for the purpose of God's kingdom because they're ours and not his. We want comfortable living and so we're gonna use our resources, we're gonna invest our time. It's where we find our hope. It's where we find some power because it's something that we feel as if it's in our, our control so we can manage it however we want to. And see, God is saying that I've given to you as a gift. It's not yours to control. It's not yours to be careless with. I've given you the resources, but I've given you the principles throughout scripture to know how to use, to manage, to invest your money in a way that if you follow it, will bring glory to me, will meet the needs of others around you, and ultimately, and ultimately, bring joy and freedom to our souls. It's, it's no secret that money brings out the worst in people. Reuters Magazine, as we said the first week, calls it the, the world's last taboo. If, you, if, you, if, if you've uh, been married or you've explored marriage or you've read anything about marriage, you know that money is a huge thing that drives wedges between two married people all the time. Like it has a lot of power and control, not because God designed it to, 
because we've given it that kind of space in our life because we've put value and we've put hope and we've put undue weight on something that God meant and designed as a gift, as a resource, something to be used, something to be invested, something to be uh, given away, something to meet others' needs, sometimes to meet our needs, right? And when we don't view it like that, it becomes stressful, full of fear, full of anxiety, full of challenging. The gospel tells us about a new story, a redeemed story, and Jesus perfectly stewarded all that God had given him. Jesus used God's resources in God's timing for God's glory and the benefit of all believers, right? John 8, 29 tells us then, and he who sent me, this is Jesus talking, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus came with all the life that God had given him, with the purpose that God had given him, with the mission that God had given him. And he stewarded his time, his energy, his life perfectly, brought glory to God, was beneficial to others who would believe. And this is great news for us. This is great news for us because Jesus gives us the victory over carelessness and over control and leaves us the Holy Spirit to be able to steward God's gifts both faithfully and fruitfully through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He died to remove our sin, the way that we've corrupted our things, the way that we've put hope in wrong places. He died to remove those heart postures from us, to remove those sinful behaviors from us. And then he rose again to change our hearts if we would believe on him. So the invitation today is believe on Jesus because he is the one who took all that God had given him, perfectly laid down his life, perfectly picked his life back up so that you and I can even begin to have life and even begin to be able to effectively steward the resources that God has entrusted to our care. It's way too big. It's way too massive. It's way too much of a challenge for us to continually go at this alone. We must recognize that we will always need to be prayerful and mindful in regards to the resources that God has given us because it's too big to do on our own. So Jesus did it for us. And so our trust in him is what enables us to live a resurrected, renewed life, to even begin processing, valuing, understanding, and using money in a proper context. So what do we do in response to what Jesus has done for us? We cultivate earning and control spending. We cultivate earning and control spending. There is a consistent theme throughout scripture of God expecting his people to produce fruit and be fruitful. To produce fruit and be fruitful. 
He expected of his his people, the nation of Israel, all throughout the Old Testament. He expects it of the people redeemed by his grace as a part of his church in the New Testament. And this must be planned, prioritized, and profitable if it is to meet our needs, to bring glory to God, and be used for the benefit of others. So how do we go about doing this? How do we cultivate earning and control spending? First thing we do is develop and execute a plan to make money. Develop and execute a plan to make money. Some of us do this well, some of us are challenged. We won't spend a ton of time digging in work. We did that two weeks ago. We'll do that again for three weeks in the fall. But what goals do you have about your work and your income? How does your work build into the kingdom of God? What are the steps necessary to accomplish the goals that you set? And what do you lack from doing it, right? Just doing it. Plan and execute on how you're going to make money because God has wired you, he has gifted you, he's given you passions, he's given you abilities, he's given you energy, he's given you time. What are you doing with it to cultivate earning? Not just for the sake of becoming wealthy, although that's not inherently bad, but for the sake of meeting your needs, for the sake of blessing others and giving towards the advancement of his kingdom. Second thing is this, develop and execute a plan to multiply money, to multiply money. This is where our generosity comes in. You say, wait, wait a minute. Generosity, yes, generosity. Generosity is about multiplication of our money. And this comes in two different ways. One is to save and invest for provision for your family, right? The Bible says in the New Testament that he who doesn't provide for his own is actually worse than an infidel. The Old Testament and New Testament alike is riddled with passages that tell us that saving money, investing our money to provide for the uncertainty of a future, to prep for retirement, even though some people would argue that God didn't create retirement in his original plan, but the reality is that like we'll all grow older and our abilities will weaken, our strength will get less and we will need to rely on some provision that we've set back for when those times would come, right? And so part of taking care of our family is being mindful about saving and investing for a future when making money isn't nearly as easy as it was when we were 20 or 30 or 40 years old, right? And so invest, prepare for unplanned circumstances, plan for the later years in life. But I think the heart of our text here in Luke 18 is not to diminish or deny that we should do those things, but to diminish, deny, and call us to repentance for where we've hoped in our plans and where we've put our trust in the resources that our plans have acquired, right? That's the heart of it. Not to, to, to squander away all your money, not to give all your money, but to manage it well so that needs of others are met, the gospel and the kingdom of God advance, your personal needs are met, your f- future's prepared for, but you don't have to trust in that. 
If, if, if your retirement count sank today, like your heart should be okay because your hope is not in those resources, they're in the God who controls those resources and who has given you those resources. Should always also invest in eternity. Ben did a good job of speaking to this last week, so I won't belabor the point, but investing in God's plan for redeeming the world, the church has huge multiplication benefits. For example, people have faithfully given to this and people are being renewed by the gospel as they come and as they engage in community, right? There's a multiplication to the giving that we do as we give and we're generous with our time and our energy and our money to the local church that is about redeeming the lives of people. And we should invest in that. We should invest in the church. The obvious question always comes and some controversy comes around is how much should I be giving? How much should I be keeping? There's lots of different conflicts. There's lots of different scripture that we could look at. There's lots of ways of looking at this and people, good people that love Jesus and know the gospel could argue it out for hours and hours on end and walk away with completely different understandings of what is the tithe? Was it meant for Old Testament? Was it meant for New Testament? What is required of a New Testament Christian? Is giving it all required of a New Testament Christian? But if we're understanding that our possessions are not our own, and we are not owners of our things, but we're stewards of our things, then it makes sense to me, and scripture clearly teaches us in the New Testament, as we'll look at in just a moment, that we should ask the person who the money belongs to what it is that we should do with it. And so we should ask God, if it's his, we should ask him. Then we should listen to the Holy Spirit, and we should respond in obedience. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 11. You'll be able to read um, up on the screen or it's in your app if you're following on your app or if you're reading from a Bible. It says this. It says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See that? We, we ask God, we reason it out, we think about it, we examine biblical principles, and we come to this understanding of this is what we should be giving. My family and me, as we've examined that, as we've done that, the, the tithe has become, a 10% of our income has become a starting point for us. Right, And so over the years, we've been able to add to that as we've gone to God and laid out our resources. God, what should we give? To what should we give? We've consistently given our 10% to the local church and we've consistently given more each year than the year before to church planning around the world, to church planning around our city, to uh, uh, different um, uh, uh, community programs, different parachurch organizations like Young Life, Block Ministries, all these things we've consistently given and been able to give to those things as we've brought our resources before God and said, God, you own these things. What is it that you want us to do with them? Right? And using these principles of sowing bountifully to reap bountifully. And God is overwhelmingly continued to bless us 
sometimes in financial ways, sometimes in super spiritual ways, sometimes in practical ways we weren't even knowing that we were in need of, right? Because God is consistently faithful to reward the obedience of his people as they do it with a right heart and an affection and a trust towards him. This text goes on in 2 Corinthians and says this, and said, and God is able, because I could read that really quickly and say, okay, as I've decided in my heart, well, I'm not gonna give anything. That's what I've decided, right? But as we read on, we see more to it. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He's saying be content and find sufficiency in the things that you have. And no matter how much you have, there are things that you can give. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, talking about God. He's given you the supplies. He's given you the ability to earn. He's given you the the resources to multiply your money. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, who will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And that through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's what he's talking about. Giving from a heart that is thankful he had the opportunity to give away his resources. Because a God who is faithful continually supplies his need to be able to make money, to give money, and not let money serve him or control him, right? And lastly, develop and execute a plan to master money. It's the idea of stewardship. This includes saving and spending. The word that nobody likes, budgeting, right? Just real practically. Looking at the amount of money that's coming in, examining that with the amount of money coming out. If you're having more money come in than going out, you're doing something wrong. No, if you're having more money go out than you have money that comes in, you're doing something wrong right? Most of us live the other way though, right? So consumer debt piles up, things like that. Unplanned spending is oftentimes unhealthy spending. So we should spend time to carefully plan what we have coming in versus what we've gone out, making room for the things that God has called us to be obedient on, like giving, being generous, saving investing for your family's future. It is that we should get out of debt and stay out of debt. And this has different implications for different people. But at the end of the day, we should, un- unavo- we should avoid unprotected debt that comes for our bent towards materialism by spending things and putting it on credit cards that we don't really have the money for. We should avoid borrowing money that we can't pay back. Biblical uh, principles teach us this all over the Bible. And so there's still some freedom in this though because how I process is different than one of my pastor friends. One of my pastor friends says that he will not go into debt for anything that depreciates in value. 
And so he's, he's faithfully driven horrible cars and saved up his money and paid cash for every car he's ever owned because they depreciate in value. The only thing he really goes into debt for is his mortgage. That's one way of looking at it. One thing that Timmy and I have always done is we are okay with taking on debt that is at reasonable insurance, uh, interest rate levels. And so we've financed cars before. But every time we finance those cars, we had the ability to pay it. And so we don't take on any debt that we couldn't pay for in the moment. But for us, emptying out our bank accounts for a car wasn't as important than paying the 0.9% interest rate or whatever. So there's different ways in how you look at this. But the principle is, don't spend money you don't have. Plan to use your money well. Make a plan, use the plan. Spend by the planned. If wealth isn't stewarded well, there would be no provision for those in need, including yourself, when you can no longer labor. There will be a day when you cannot keep up the pace that you currently do. So we also need to plan for those days with good, godly, biblical wisdom, right? As we, as we approach this topic early on, we said that we didn't, really want to, this isn't about increasing our giving and, and getting more of your money. It's more about examining your hearts to understand where are you placing your trust? Are you placing your trust in a God who's given you generous gifts and simply asked for you to give back a portion of it? Or are you placing your trust in the gifts that he's given even beyond the gift giver?